Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. there. Well, obviously I'm not where I want to be. I'm afraid I'm narrating this from a slab or some sort of operating theatre. A flat surface at any rate, cold and ominously smooth, and I'm blooming well strapped to it. It's not very comfortable, and I'm used to narrating from the comfort of my attic sitting room and after the event, so to speak. But here I am, entering into what I hope is the climax of our latest adventure. This time, I don't even have the luxury of blaming Effie for dragging me into the fray. This time, I've no one to blame but myself. I'm in the murky underground base of my enemies, and I'm alone. Oh, apart from that desiccated old corpse over there, she who's hooked up to all those tubes. They're filling her veins with an unholy mixture of my blood and a very special herbal infusion, hoping she'll return to life. Oh, it's a filthy tale. And while they've left me on my tod, I might as well occupy my mind. While I'm lying here all tied up with the life force draining out of my vittles, I suppose I could regale you with the details. It begins with a new tea room that's just opened in Panet Park, quite close to the creepy old museum. It is a delightfully sunny afternoon and perfect for sitting inside what was once a botanical hothouse. It's called Tipple now and it's still florid with exotic blooms and rubber plants. As we wait by the please queue to be seated sign, Effie idly remarks on the ancient Egyptian theme fairly evident due to the fact that the waitresses are got up in bandages like mummies. The air is rife with a myriad buttery, crumpety, fruity, spicy, toasty and smoky scents of tea time. 
Effie reminds me about a lavish article in our local paper about the man who has started this venture. He was pictured in the colour supplement, sipping a cuppa very elegantly under the dewy fronds of a tropical bush. Professor Marius Keyes is, Effie and I are in agreement about this, something of a dish. One-time antiquities handler, <laughs> a phrase which prompts a giggle from Effie. Professor Keyes has now retired to Whitby. He's wealthy, handsome and lavishly coiffured. Everything about him speaks of quality and polish, from his golden cufflinks to the leathery wood smoke of his aftershave. Mm. According to the write-up in the Whitby Gazette, anyhow. We are shown to a table in a secluded corner with a view of the hilly wooded park and the Japanese pond. I start examining the menu. It's quite complicated, with names for teas that look like anagrams and dollops of over-rich text describing their flavours, origins and properties. His overheads must be atrocious, Effie says, glaring about. It says here, tea will revive our ailing spirits, I tell her. I want two at £4.95 a pot. At that price, it had better knock our socks off. We choose Blue Flower Moonrise for Effie and Mango Whimsy for me. When it comes, it's in a glass pot of fearsomely trendy design. Effie looks cross but is mollified by the quality of the china. The tea tastes unspeakably awful. I very nearly gag. What's the matter with your Mango Whimsy? Effie looks severe. Next thing, she's actually spitting her tea into a saucer. She's mortified. Oh, just goes to show all this fuss about now. I've never had such a despicable brew. Her tea looks pretty in its glass pot, though, with the blue petals opening out and swirling. The waitress brings our bill, which Effie snatches out of her hand. At the tables around us, I notice other tipplers seem to be grimacing and complaining to each other about the vile-tasting speciality beverages. Typically English, no one says a word to the staff. It says here the tea will revive our ailing spirits, I tell her. We all assume this is the way it's supposed to taste. Plus, it's meant to be doing us some good, and therefore must taste horrible. We catch a glimpse of Professor Marius Keyes as he weaves about the tables, looking very pleased with himself, and more corpulent than he did in the Gazette. Everyone smiles and congratulates him. They're succumbing to his obvious charm and charisma, I observe, peering keenly through the rubber leaves. Huh, growls Effie. I can sense her bridling. She wants to call him over and give him a few home truths. My blue flower moonrise tasted like piddle. I really hope she doesn't make a scene. I long to be home and enjoying a pot of my own spicy tea. I adore that blend of ginger, pepper, garam masala, cardamom and cloves. It's like Christmas Eve and the Arabian Nights all in one. Homely and exotic as anything, and far nicer than the fancy nonsense they're dishing up here. Effie 
Effie and I part company down on Harbour Street. I have a suspicion that she's dabbling with the spells in those books of magic she has hidden away in her upper rooms. There's a glint in her eye that tells me she's been exploring her witchy roots of late. While I'm enjoying a decent cuppa on my own, I'm having another read of the newspaper profile of Professor Keyes. This time he comes over as a bit smug, as if he's bringing civilization and sophistication to the unwashed hordes who dwell upon the North Yorkshire coast. I must have skimmed the article earlier, because now I'm finding out about his fixation on ancient Egypt. It all dates back to my earliest boyhood and my upbringing at the hands of my great aunt and uncle. They allowed me to accompany them on their expeditions to some of the most fabulous and hidden regions on the planet. As a child, my playgrounds were in ruins and among treasures lost to time. We girdled the world many times over, staying in the most luxurious hotels and the humblest encampments. We drank a lot of tea wherever we went. We tried every kind of tea that the world has to offer. A fascination with tippling was born in me, and it has endured all my life. I am as obsessed with the reviving properties of the humble leaf as I am the dusty relics of bygone eras. What a show-off. Like anyone cares about his blooming backstory. Still, he is quite a dish. <laughs> with his streaky auburn hair, his pink cheeks and that lavish moustache. That night I sit up in my sumptuous bed with a murder mystery and a tot of sherry. When I drop off, I dream about being back in Tipple. Professor Marius Keyes himself comes over to our table. The stars are bright through the spotless glass of the conservatory. His head is bent over Effie's upturned teacup. And we are in suspense. Then he whisks the cup away, revealing a mound of wet leaves to which he gives careful consideration. What have we here? What spicy secrets do these leaves divulge? Effie rolls her eyes and gives a highly sceptical tut. Even in my dreams, she is borderline rude to people. Ever since antiquity, folk have believed much truth has been revealed by the leaves left at the bottom of a tippler's teacup. My Aunt Maud was a dab hand, Effie tells him. What did you see in my dregs, then? Tea leaves aren't just something to discard. They were in your cup. You blew on the tea and sipped and sipped until it was all gone. And so these fragments of leaf are inextricably bound up with you. They are connected to your very soul. And what do you see there? Effie snaps. I see. Ah, why, a, a glowing cat prowling the dark and misty streets. And I see an evil bat with long, velvety ears. That's the past. I see. Terrible things in your future. I see blood and suffering and meat pies and garden furniture that has been manufactured from evil bamboo. And I see the undead, 
They're rising out of their tombs and seeking out a reckoning with you two. Professor Key looks at the pair of us appalled. I'm just glad he hasn't had a peek at my dregs. At this point, I am glad to remember that this is all just a dream. Except next morning, I'm up and about serving full English breakfast to my half-dozen guests and Effie gives me a tinkle. It turns out that she's had a dream too and we were having our leaves read by Professor Keyes. Is it possible to share the same dream, she squawks, without something nefarious going on? I muse, still holding a plate full of congealing eggs benedict. What did he foretell in your dream? That I'm going to be a vampire queen, and that a great big brute of a man whisks you off your feet, and we're going to be on a TV show about haunted houses. As I finish the call, I'm glad that we never had the precise same dream. I just know that I don't want to be sharing all my thoughts with my neighbour. In my break, I reread the article about the professor, and something snags at my memory. Oh, this memory of mine. Did I ever travel to the exotic places he mentions? I don't think so. I can't recall ever being taken up the Valley of the Kings. Effie phones later in the day, having decided we're using some vouchers she's had popped through her front door to eat for one at the Hotel Miramar. She tells me she could just murder Scampi in a basket. I thought you always said the Miramar was insalubrious, I say. Oh, there's been a lot of scandal about that place, she agrees. Swingers, weekends and things. I remember one when the fire brigade got called in was the talk of the town. Perhaps it's more respectable these days. She harumphs. It's still owned by the same blousy, common, bloated old bag, Sheila Manchu. So why are we going? Like I say, Ducky, I've got a voucher. Plus, I've heard tell it's where a certain Professor Marius Keyes is staying. Effie has her investigating head on. It seems she's avid for dirt on our mystery hunk. We meet at 6pm, both reasonably dolled up. Tramping through steep and convoluted streets, I can see Effie's ran to more effort than yours truly. She sprayed herself with something musky, but that could be just the whiff from the harbour. When we reach the Miramar, we're both a bit lathered, but there's some picnic benches out in what might make a nice beer garden if it was done up properly. It's pleasant to sit in the breeze, but for some rowdy-looking youths at the other benches. When Effie opens the door to the bar to place our orders, all this music comes out. Thrash metal, they call it. I feel conspicuous in my lilac woolen two-piece amongst all this black leather. <laughs> Never mind. And I won't have a word said against goths. After a gaggle of them fished me out of the harbour last week during Beltane. It's while Effie's at the bar that I spot our quarry. Professor Keyes is in a linen safari suit, being flirted at mercilessly by a largish woman in a tangerine polyester nightie. They're standing by a half-hearted rockery looking very much in cahoots. 
The early evening light makes her nightwear well nigh see-through, but the professor seems not to be embarrassed in the least. Effie brings our drinks and I point them out. She's far too common for a man of his ilk, unless he's capable of being overcome by sheer animal lust. I nod. Do you know, I have a feeling he is. Florid complexion and big hands. Effie shivers and picks up her glass. We both take great big swallows of our freezing vodka. And just then, the object of our curiosity advances on us across the lawn. Ladies, didn't I see you sampling my wares at Tipple the other day? You did indeed, Professor Keys. Marius, please. I'm Brend and she's Effie. Yes, we were both very favourably impressed by your café. We feel thoroughly refreshed by the whole experience. Effie gives me a look as if I'm laying it on a bit thick. Such delicious tea is very unusual. Like many a vain man, he responds atavistically to any form of flattery. He just can't help himself expanding like a dinghy as he warms to his favourite subject. There's a little drop of magic in every cup. Though I'm forbidden to reveal its source. An arcane mystery out of antiquity. He taps his mighty aquiline nose and Effie goes, Oh, really? Secret ingredient, is it? I can tell a barbed comment is about to make itself felt. That's the kind of thing health inspectors can be very funny about, you know. <laughs> My dear, I didn't mean it literally. It's all a bit of flummery and nonsense. Why, why the very thought of slipping something untoward into my infusions... <laughs> he laughs long and hard, then kisses my hand, and then Effie's. His lips leave a cool mark. I find I don't want to rub off. We watch him link arms with Sheila Manchu and re-enter the Miramar via the public lounge. I know two things... Effie murmurs. Those two are having it off. And he's lying through his false teeth. I've got an extremely refined palate, and there was something about that wussy cup of tea I had the other day that wasn't quite right. He's up to no good, and I sense the presence of dark forces at work. Don't you agree, Ducky? I nod, but a part of me is still thinking about his warm, wet lips on the back of my hand. And the fact that my skin there is tingling. I've often made a fool of myself over men. Tingling inappropriately and having my head turned. I'll have you know, though, that my nascent attraction to that patrician purveyor of gourmet beverage is not actually the reason for my present incarceration. My predicament has naught to do with any libidinous urges. Those I have placed under firm control, though I have, in fact, wound up under the wicked man's power. Wait a second, what's that? I heard something. Is it the recumbent female form in the mummy case in the corner? Oh, heavens, is she returning to life while I'm lying here utterly helpless? There. There's definitely something in here. A rat, maybe. A very soft footfall. 
Oh, I recognize that scent. Shalimar. It's Effie. She's a godsend. Effie. Effie, you managed to find me. Oh, well done, dear. Can you help me with all these straps and tubes and things? Quickly, quickly, before he comes back. While we struggle to escape, I shall narrate the rest of the events that brought us here to the scene of our near demise. Our scampi turns out to be delicious, hitting just the right spot. While Sheila and Marius Keys are in the bar with a whole bunch of Sheila's cronies, Effie and I get up to a bit of investigating. We take advantage of an abandoned reception area to check the reservation book. Then Effie's pushing me into the lift and we're shooting up to the third floor. He's got her most lavish suite, mutters Effie. It's booked out for a month. I admit that I have a flash of envy of Sheila Manchu. We hunt about the corridors at the very top of the Miramar. The monogrammed carpet's so plush we're soundless as we hunt for his door. We can't just break in, I gasp. Effie produces a skeleton key and starts fiddling like mad with the lock. I hold my breath and we're in. It's wall-to-wall shinwazery inside. Lacquered cabinets and fancy wall hangings and stuff made out of bamboo. Quality items of apparel are chucked and rumpled anyhow over the unmade bed, along with books and papers and trays of half-eaten snacks. What if they come back and find us? I whisper hoarsely. What are we even looking for? Effie is hunting and pecking through all of his intimate stuff. Clues, she says. Anything. She hoists out a luxury suitcase and flings it open. He's got such wonderful things, I say, gazing into his wardrobe. Look at all these beautiful shirts. Never mind all that, Effie snaps. Then she finds something interesting at the bottom of his case. It looks like a tin tea caddy. She opens it, sniffs the contents, and wears an expression I've only ever seen before on a police tracker dog. I dither round his gentleman's requisites. They're like relics from a more gracious age. Then I turn to the bed and realise that the covers aren't just heaped any old how. They're bulging in a distinctly human shape. Um, Effie, I begin, but my throat has gone dry and I can feel my scampi starting to make its way back up. Effie is still sniffing tea samples. She's found some other caddies and one has made her gag. Even from over here I can smell something sweetish. A hint of ancient must and mould. I find myself reaching out to touch the bedclothes and... Oh! At that very moment comes Effie's shout of triumph. What do you think of this, Brenda? She plucks out a nasty root-like object to show me. A horrid, gnarled thing but my attention is elsewhere. It's as if my fingers have developed a life of their own and they suddenly snatch the bedclothes away, revealing the slumbering form of a mummy, swathed in non-too-clean looking bandages flat on its back on the queen-sized mattress. I give a hearty shriek at the sight of the thing and Effie cries out too. The mummy twitches in response and starts to sit up. Effie pockets the dried-out roots and grabs me by the arm. 
It's down to her that we exit that suite before the mummy can do anything other than sit up in bed. Down the corridor and stairs we thunder, sure that the thing's going to be coming after us. We get downstairs and clatter through reception and push through a crowd on the doorstep outside. We hurtle down the street together without looking back. Why was it in his bed? I ask wildly. Didn't I say I thought he had issues? said Effie. Mummy issues? I ask and laugh, though I don't mean to. Something about Marius Key's mummy has put the willies up me, even though I'm usually more sanguine about dead things coming to life. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Once back on Harbour Street, Effie announces that she's going to do some tests on that funny route she's found. Scientific and magical tests, she says a bit pompously. I think it's what he's putting in the tea, Ducky, and I want to know what it does. Coming? I demur. It's getting late and I've got a spot of reflux from the scampi and vodka. Besides, there's something I want to check. Please yourself, says Effie, and we say goodbye. She shoots off, and I know she's going to be up all night poring over that purloined scrap of whatever it is. Meanwhile, I've got some thinking to do. You see, the sight of that mummy, plus the ghastly aroma of desiccation and bandages, have combined to stir my old memories around. I fancy that my mind is just like an old teapot filled with murky infusions, it needs a proper swirl. Egypt, mummies, gnarled old roots, and pots of tea. Once home in my attic rooms, I open up the safe in my living room wall, hidden behind the Turner painting. Here I store the keepsakes from a hundred adventures. It's all here. Fragments I have hoarded. I hunt through cryptic stuff and I don't even know what it's supposed to mean. A severed monkey's paw, a half-burnt Bible, a Rubik's Cube, 
a weird piece of electronic circuitry, scrolls of yellow paper, a black carnation, clippings from exceedingly old magazines, and a stack of old diaries spread out over years, all written by different hands. As if by providence, a volume from the 1940s falls open. A utilitarian thing with flimsy pages, covering five years from the middle of the war onwards. Where was I living then? Yes, yes. It's starting to come back a little. Ooh, I need to sit down. I stagger to my armchair, clutching the little book. It's charred along one edge, acrid smelling. When did it get burned? Many pages are missing. What I could do with now, I think, is a nice reviving pot of char. And suddenly, here I am. I'm warming the pot, spooning in the tea leaves. But this isn't my cosy kitchen at the top of my B&B in Whitby. Oh no, indeed. I'm in a different kitchen altogether, in the past. A stone-floored scullery in a house in another town altogether. I look the same and I feel the same, but I'm wearing a dowdy maid's outfit. And I'm a... a servant. I'm working for a cross old man, a professor. Suddenly I'm back to who I was. I am housemaid to Professor Reginald Tyler, who's a dab hand at the oldie English. I'm making afternoon tea and loading up the hostess trolley. Salmon paste sandwiches and walnut cake. Riches during this time of rationing. Today is Thursday and the professor is hosting a meeting in his study. The fire is lit and the curtains are pulled against the autumn afternoon. I push the trolley into the room and its wheels squeak as I make my circuit, serving refreshments to the various members of the professor's writing club. They ignore me and carry on listening intently, fuming the place out with their pipes and backy. Here comes Brenda, not listening to Professor Tyler's droning voice as he regales them with another chapter of his book about the elves and wizards and whatnot. I concentrate on the seated men, a dozen of them donnish and tweedy, their faces blurry and soft with fading concentration. They are the smudglings. They're having one of their special storytelling afternoons again. Professor Tyler clutches his paper and looks piqued by my intrusion. My favourite of the bunch is Professor Clevis. He's the only one who treats me like a human being, thanking me as I load him up with tea and cake and sarnies. He has wispy hair and the proportions of a giant teddy bear. When it's been his turn to read, I've lingered by the door to listen. Of all their queer, phantasmagorical tales, his are the best, I believe. He writes about an impossible land called Hispero, where magic and adventure walk hand in hand. Professor Tyler usually berates him for churning out silly stuff for children and for not writing the true stuff of legend and myth. incantation to his guiding spirit, so on. 
Henry cleave his beams at me while the others keep their attention fixed on Tyler's incantatory narrative. Same old gobbledygook it sounds like to me. Dwarves it is today. A dragon this time too. Maybe that'll liven the story up. While I'm going round with the fish paste sandwiches, the old prof gives a meaningful cough. So I plod away back into the kitchen. I know my place. I decide that I might as well do some washing. I could give the venerable Professor Smalls a good rubbing through, since I imagine they'll all be tied up for ages hearing about his dragon. That's just what I'm doing when I hear the dreadful ruckus coming from outside. I hear a sharp cracking noise in the walled garden outside. At first I think it must be local children scrumping for late apples or dragging a guy about, perhaps. Then I see it. Through the pebbled glass of the outside door, a tall shape, man-sized, bulky. It's five o'clock and the garden is filled with dark shadows. Is it really someone out there? Then there's a noise of a body stumbling into the beams. My next thought is of German spies. I pick up my bucket of hot soapy water and carry it to the back door. I take a deep breath, grasp the handle and fling it over. And then I am face to face with one of the most awful creatures I have ever seen. Its blank face is covered with mucky bandages, with hollow depressions for eyes. Its shambling form is coming towards me and I realise its twitchy hands are raised because it's about to seize me by the throat. At this younger age, my reflexes are pretty good. I leap backwards, slinging into the face of my assailant the first thing that comes to hand. This happens to be an armload of Prof Tyler's soggy underthings. The mummy crashes through the back door to the sound of splintering hinges, undeterred by the weight of old underpants. I cast desperately around for a weapon. The mangle? The mop? I'm backing away now, dread almost overcoming me. There isn't time to consider where such a musty brute has come from. And then it turns out he isn't after me at all. It's my hostess trolley he wants. The Revenant lumbers forth and tries to take hold of the still warm teapot. I'm standing there astonished, watching on as the kitchen door flies open. Help is at hand. I heard something untoward in the vicinity of the scullery. Henry Clevis comes bounding to my rescue. He's astounded at the sight of the monster, now trying to drag my entire hostess trolley out the back door and into the misty garden beyond. Cease and desist at once. That trolley is an heirloom. I find myself yelling and feel such a fool once the words are out. The mummy gives a dreadful guttural snarl and then he's gone, quick as you like. We can hear china cups and saucers tinkling like mad as he makes his escape. We try to follow, but to no avail. The back garden is suffused by an evil brown fog. The gate hangs open, and the lane beyond betrays no sign of the bandaged miscreant. Are you all right, my dear? What was that thing? A buggered, if I know, I burst out and feel like collapsing into tears. I should have put up more of a fight. 
Looks very much to me like an Egyptian mummy come back to life. Professor Tyler's dry acerbic voice comes from behind us and we whirl around to see my employer. He's standing in his shirt sleeves and puffing thoughtfully on his pipe. You saw it as well? I was right on your heels, old chap. How very alarming. Our tea things have been carried away by a cadaver some half a dozen millennia old. He must have a most ghastly thirst on. Brenda, you look as if you're about to keel over. I admit that I feel a good deal better when we're back indoors and out of that perishing fog. The gentlemen bring me to sit by the study fire. Prof Tyler disbands the smudglings meeting and dismisses his fellow scribblers. They seem concerned and disappointed to have missed the fracas in the kitchen. Henry Clevis makes some rather nasty tea and some old mugs. I wonder why our mummified chub would want our dregs. Tyler leans against the mantelpiece musingly. I can recognise the excitement in his thin-featured face. He doesn't give a hoot about the smashed back door or the expensive trolley. There is a mystery, and he is cock-a-hoop. I wonder if it's all to do with our meeting. Henry Clevis is examining the packet of tea I've been using. It's purple cardboard and decorated in foreign symbols, rather exotic. Do you believe whoever controls the mummy was thinking of poisoning us? You had some senior dons here tonight, Reg. Not that I want to flatter us unduly. We'd already finished the tea. Little point in poisoning the pot after it's been emptied, is there? Fair point. What a whopper, though, eh? I've not seen a reanimated corpse like that since... Oh, well, a very long time indeed. Discussion of our frightening visitor comes to an abrupt end. Tyler stumps off to spend the remainder of the evening writing and Professor Clevis says his goodbyes, pulls on his hat and coat and goes off into the murky night. I clear up the disturbed kitchen and just before bedtime rolls around, I take Prof Tyler his usual nightcap. I find him scratching away in one of his old ledgers. He's working on the book that will eventually take him 34 years to finish. At this stage, he is teetering at the halfway mark and quite grumpy about it. I tiptoe up behind him, put down his whiskey and turn to scoot back out. Poppy Keys Herbal Infusions. Pardon, sir? The people you bought that tea from. They're based in this very city. I read the back of the packet. Do you know what, Brenda? This old man always manages to make me feel nervous. I think there might be something in this tea leaf business. I've only been using this new kind quite recently, sir. Yes, the quality of the tea round here recently has been bloody awful. I've been meaning to have a word with you about it. There's something rather nasty in the leaves, I think. And I intend to find out what it is. I nod, reflecting that Professor Tyler only turns his massive intellect upon spooky mysteries when they disturb his comfort or when his magnum opus hits a sticky patch. Judging by the crossings out in his ledger, I'm guessing he has double the cause for thinking about this mystery tonight. In the following few days, there are reports of several incidents involving the tea leaf thief. A bandage-wrapped spectre is spotted in numerous locations all over the city as high teas and breakfasts are rudely interrupted. Each time there are eruptions in the houses of brilliantly learned scholars as teapots and cups and saucers are dragged ruthlessly away. 
One luckless reader in applied ethics puts up a fight for the sake of his wife's best china. Both of his arms are torn out of their sockets and the astonished academic bleeds to death on his dining room carpet. When I hear this, I'm glad that I never put up more of a struggle on the night my hostess trolley was manhandled away. I'm relieved, ever so relieved. Oh. This is the moment that I come back to myself. Right then, I mean all these years later, standing in my attic, brewing my tea. It's a bit stewed and awful now, but it was worth it. The fumes took me back through all those years to the first time I was menaced by mummies in a tea-drinking-related escapade. I must tell Effie about this at once, I decide. Oh, Effie, thank goodness you're here. How did you manage to free yourself? I don't have time to go into that, Brenda. They're right behind me. Who, I ask as she struggles with my bonds, sawing away with a pair of handy pinking shears she's taken to carrying about in her handbag. I already know the answer. It's Professor Marius Keyes and Sheila Manchu. They're descending into the dimly lit crypt where I've been incarcerated. They've realised that we are on the point of escaping. Wait! Brenda, stop! You wait till I get free, buster. You won't know what's hit you. Please, you must listen to me. I never meant to hurt you. Either you or Effie or anyone else. I just wanted to help my aunt. My poor old Aunt Poppy. This, I ask, pointing to the hideous and withered up old thing in the casket. This old mummy is your auntie? She is indeed, Brenda. And really, it's partly your fault that she's in this state. My fault? Well, I like that. Yes, indeed. But to understand why this is so, I believe we must return to the tale of how you first met Poppy Keys. Many years ago, in Oxford. Hold on, Sonny. This is my flashback. I'll tell it the way I think best. Oh, very well, then. Three nights after the mummy's first visit, I wake in a muck sweat. I've suddenly remembered how I came by Poppy Key's special blend in that purple packet. It was given to me as a free sample by a rather severe, glamorous woman in a headscarf. She had a bike with a basket on the front, and it was full of these packets of tea. She claimed to be peddling free samples for the most august professors in the vicinity. Would I care to try this new blend her firm had perfected? Well, nothing ventured, nothing gained, I thought, and thanked her kindly. At the time, I didn't suppose it odd, the way she came to the door like that. And something else has come back to me, too. It's to do with the tea leaves themselves. I believe that the fact that the mummy was nicking dregs was significant. It isn't really about poisoning people at all. Professor Tyler is already out that morning, but I run into Henry Clevis in the town. I happen past his favourite hostelry, just as he comes tripping merrily into the autumn sunlight. Brenda, dear. He does look a treat in his green velvet jacket. A bit of a dandy on the sly, as Professor Clevis. 
I tell him about the sample and how I have met the glamorous Mrs. Keyes and how she was particularly keen that the learned Professor Tyler properly sample her wares. Henry is thinking deeply, chewing on both ends of his moustache. But why collect leaves afterwards? That's what I don't understand. What's in tea leaves after you use them? That's what I've been stewing over for days, and... Well, you know how some folk can read fortunes from your teacup. Uh, go on, my dear. Well, what if there really was something magical about what's left at the bottom of your cup? How fascinating. My dear, in your lumpen proletarian simplicity, I think you may have strayed onto something. Why, I've read of something similar to this in old Icelandic mythology. The leaves have been infused, you see, with the future fortunes of the tea drinker. Yes, yes, inspiration. The leaves are filled with the very inspiration of very brilliant men. Good God, my dear, but I think you have it. Henry Clevis invites himself over to Professor Tyler's house this very evening. He primes me so that I will be ready with a pot of special tea. Tyler is surprised but pleased to see his fellow smudgling. When I bring in the tea, Henry and I exchange a wink of complicity. Oh, you've made this horrible concoction again, Brenda. It's that special blend, Reg. I want to try out an experiment. Indulge me. An uh, experiment, eh? Oh, filthy stuff. <coughs> now, what is it you wanted to see me about? I return to my tasks in the scullery, pottering about, though I soon fall asleep in the old armchair. Don't blame me, I've been up since five this morning, riddling the grate and boiling porridge. I'm dozing by the heat of the stove when there comes all this brouhaha from the living room. It sounds exactly like someone kicking the French windows in and then getting caught up in the velvet curtains. And that's precisely what it is. I wake with a cry and stagger into the hall, hearing Professors Tyler and Cleaver shouting at the tops of their voices. A teacup shatters and then several more follow suit as I fling open the door onto a scene full of utter chaos. Henry has taken up arms. He has a poker and a pan shovel from the companions that are polished yesterday afternoon. He brandishes them fiercely at the figure still struggling amongst the folds of the curtains. We have captured the blighter, Brenda. Let's pin him down. Is that wise, sir? If he's strong enough to kick indoors and yank off the arms of readers in applied ethics. Is this another of these mummified fellas? Yes. He's covered in curtains, though. We lured him here. Are you saying you purposefully lured this creature here? With the aroma of the tea. That filthy brew! We need to know what they want with used-up tea leaves. Do we? Why do we? Just help me, bitch. Help me with this confounded devil. All this while, Henry Cleavis is battering away at the shrouded monstrosity with both dustpan and poker. The mummy is letting out some savage and disturbing, though muffled, cries of vengeance. Then all three of us are upon him and wrestling the creature like mad. Hold him steady. Good girl. I've never been involved in anything so ridiculous. Watch yourself, Rich. This chap's a killer.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.